Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Determination, Deliberation, and Dragons, where we talk about dragons with determination and deliberation. I'm Peter, and this is Izzy. Hey, hey. And we're going to talk about the seventh story in the Pana and Waveskimmer cycle through the theme of responsibility. But first, we're going to talk about another story that features responsibility very heavily. Avatar the Last Airbender. So Whoa. I know it's uh such a such an amazing show. But somebody has some views on it. I mean a lot of people have viewed it. I'm very confused. <laughs> no, I mean your pre I, I guess certain preferences for a later show. Oh I like Legend of Korra way better. But Avatar the Last Airbender is still like Amazing. It's incredible. It's a wonderful show. But that's not the point here. We are not debating. Um, <laughs> that There's a potentially a later episode. But right now we just wanted to really look at the idea of responsibility as shown through the character of Aang. Aang, the last airbender. The Avatar. So like the Avatar is this person who can like master all four elements and like bring balance to the world and is supposed to be like the bridge between the spirits and the the non-spirits the humans um <laughs> so you know it's a it's a position with a lot of responsibility and for Aang there's this even bigger sense of responsibility because he becomes the avatar right at the beginning of a war Everyone's worried about the Fire Nation attacking, you know, the possibility of attack. So they tell Aang that he's the Avatar much younger, um, when he's much younger than, like, most Avatars are told. And the Airbenders are really scared. And they, they're, they're right to be <laughs> afraid that they do all get massacred, like, very shortly after that. But, you know, Aang is this 12-year-old kid, and he's understandably he's really frightened and he doesn't want to be the avatar he just wants to be a kid and like play with the other kids so he leaves the air temple and you know he feels guilty about it like way you know a hundred years later when he's finally found again it doesn't feel like a hundred years to him but yes yeah i mean he has no idea at first but i think we were talking specifically about the episode the storm where we find out this backstory, um, you know, that Aang left. And we see, like, some just normal people in the world, um, like this fisherman and his wife, and they're like, oh, yeah, like, we, you know, we don't like the Avatar too much. Like, you left us, and, like, this this war is, like, your fault. Like, you could have stopped it. And we see Aang, like, really struggle with, like, the idea of wanting to be a kid and his responsibility as the avatar so you know it's really hard to like have this duty to the rest of the world and to these bigger things when you're especially when you're a kid and you just want to play but even like as an adult it's it's difficult to balance doing things for yourself and for the greater the greater good and i think that's really what i wanted to try to explore in my story, you know, not saying my story comes anywhere close to the storm, because um, <laughs> it does not. 
but I think there's still this idea of finding out this information. So like Pana finds out some important information and has to figure out what they are going to do with it. Do you have anything else you want to add or shall I summarize the story? Pana does find out that information in the previous chapter and then this is the chapter where they're like digesting it and processing. But yes, I also re- realized my memory of the storm was not as stellar as I had thought it was, but a lot is packed into that episode of Aang's past and also some side stories with other characters that all do center around the theme of responsibility or, you know, consequences for actions that you didn't quite realize, like unintended consequences, and that you still, you know, have to take responsibility for once they happen. So, also I guess kind of thinking Pana, you know, being in that scary place of not having really, or having acted and thinking back on the actions that they have done, and how they did or didn't take responsibility for it, but also thinking about how can they maybe change that in the future and not knowing quite how. Yeah, so basically, let's let's just summarize the story kind yes. of very briefly. You know, there's not a lot that's going on. It's a lot of just everyone wakes up from their visions and, like, Pana's trying to... But there is, there is a lot going on. In terms of, like, events. So it's Pana's trying to, like, figure out and, like, think through what they saw, what they do with that information. And they're really struggling because, like, the last time... The last time they went out and tried to, like, help their community was on their hunting party trip, which didn't go well. So now that they have another opportunity to help people, they're they're really nervous about it. So they're trying to, like, think through that. Um, they, like, walk out of a meeting that they were having with the others. They, like, hide on, at the front of the boat in a very conspicuous way. <laughs> They can't, it's hard for a dragon to hide. So, and then all of that is kind of interrupted when another dragon shows up and starts attacking the boat. It's a dragon that, like, followed them from up north. Because in my mind, like, all the dragons right now are up north in the ice. So this is one that was, like, in the cave when Pana was there. And Pana has to, like, help defeat the dragon... They don't realize that Vari also shows up and is like trying to organize things like on the boat because Pana's like flying up on Wave Skimmer and like doing things up in the air. So that was really fun. I like having them both in like the same place at the same time, but like unaware of each other. I mean, Vari knows, but like Pana's unaware. (laughs) And then they defeat the dragon through getting a lot of other animals to come and do things. So they manage to get the dragon in the water and then they like the people on the boat end up capturing it and like netting it and then Pana has like a fun fun chat with a dragon and then they decide to go and find the weapon oh and they have like a wardrobe change for like the first time I like the second or third they had like a little poncho and then like a shirt this is the first time where I like actually described it decently yeah. And like where I like the outfit. And it's not just like, well, we need something that's not like furs because it's too hot out and we're dying out here. So, 
th this one was fun. I enjoyed it. But yeah, that, that's basically it. Yeah. No, I think you sold the aerial dragon battle a little short. That was a big event. Yeah, I don't know how well I wrote it. I'm not thrilled with, like, battle scenes. Partly I just don't want there to be battles, which is why I, like, saved the dragon at the end. If they had, ugh, if anyone had hurt that dragon, even though it was attacking them, I would have been very upset. <laughs> you you can control this as, as the writer. <laughs> that is a good point. <laughs> but I thought it was a nice battle. Nice as in, like, exciting to read. Not nice as in, like, oh no, they're in mortal peril with a broken arm flying a dragon. Like, I know nobody else has ever flown on Wave Skirmer, but I'm just like, did Pana have to be the passenger? What were they contributing by being a passenger with a broken arm on the dragon on Wave Skimmer? I mean, no one else is allowed to ride Wave Skimmer for now. At least Pana, like, has to be there. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, and I think, again, that speaks to the idea of, like, so neither Pana nor Wave Skimmer are, like, warriors by any means. And I think most of what they do is, like, just evading and, like, trying to distract the dragon, like, more so than fight it. Mm -hmm. So even with their, like, one bad arm, they're just trying to, like, buy time for everyone on the ship to, like, figure out what they're doing. Mm -hmm. No, I guess my question is more that, couldn't Wave Skimmer have done that without Pana on his back? I mean, yeah, it, it would have been possible, but, like, in my mind, they just don't do things separately if they if they can help it. I mean, my understanding is, like, even though nothing bad was going to happen because I'm the writer, like, the characters don't know that, so they wouldn't want either one of them to, like, go alone and, like, do something like this. Mm -hmm. So, like, Pana had to be there with, with Wave Skimmer. Mm-hmm. I mean, I kind of like the idea of having, like, you know, shared responsibility for a task and not having it be, I'm the only savior of this whole group or whatever. I also really like the immediate part where the ship captain was immediately calling Pana out for trying to, like, take control of the situation and be like, here's the plans, everybody, I'm giving orders. And then um, she was like, heck no, I'm the captain here. You gotta, gotta respect that chain of command. Yeah, I don't know if Pana and, like, Wave Skimmer, like, I don't think there's necessarily a shared responsibility to, like, the task. I mean, there is. There is for sure. But I think, like, primarily, it's, like, this shared responsibility to each other. So, I mean, like, yes, they both have this task. And, like, yes, like, Wave Skimmer could have gone alone. And I think it's this idea of, like, them feeling responsible for each other and, like, what what each other gets up to and their their safety so mm -hmm. i think that is an element as well so like responsibility is like being directed in like towards multiple directions at once mm. i like that interpretation but i still feel like it's more on the irresponsible side for wave skimmer to let pana come with them with a broken arm yeah flying in the air <laughs> I mean, I understand emotionally why they both want to make that choice. But I, I, as a reader, was like, why is this the choice they're making? But it does have good meaning behind it. 
oh, it's totally irresponsible, but, like, I don't think they realize that either. I think, I mean, I need to do a better job of showing this, and I think we had a similar conversation with Story 4, where, like, I really view Wave Skimmer and, like, Pana as being, like, very incapable at, like, fighting and stuff. To a certain mm -hmm. extent, like, they have their moments, especially in, like, Story 9, where, you know, they just have to do stuff. But I think when they have a moment to, like, think about it, it's like, you know, there's some time before this dragon even gets here. And they're, like, debating with the, the captain and the other people. So I don't even think it crosses Wave Skimmer's mind, like, oh, it might be irresponsible to, like, have this injured human, like, go up in the air with me. I think Wave Skimmer is at a bit of a disadvantage, because I had no idea what... I mean, he can't talk in yeah. the story, so I had no idea what his thoughts were, other than, like, you know, Pana being, like talking to Wave Skimmer and me assuming Wave Skimmer agrees with everything Pana says. Yeah. <laughs> I like Pana just interpreting Wave Skimmer. I have moments where like it's from his perspective, but not many. Mm-hmm. And I think in this case it would have just made things a little bit slower. So, like it was already slow when the dragon's like coming and it takes a little while. But I needed it to go like a little bit faster. No, I think, like, definitely it wouldn't be necessary to say, like, switch P point of view POV all, all of the time to get Pana, and then Wave Skimmer, and then Pana, and then Wave Skimmer. I guess I'm thinking more along the lines of how can, like, different actions that Wave Skimmer is shown to do have a little bit more impact in showing, you know, the thoughts behind those actions, because, I mean, also partly he does, you know, constantly accompany Pana, which, you know, says a lot about their relationship already. But I guess he sometimes just kind of fades into the background. Not that he necessarily needs to be, like, constantly doing stuff, but also I guess he's a little bit too big to fit in the room sometimes, so just his head fits into the meeting room. But, yeah, I, I guess... I'm thinking of a way to, like, weave him into the action or, you know, have a facial expression here or there. Yeah. No, I need to figure that out. And, like, one thing I tried doing was, like, having Wave Skimmer's scales change colors. And I tried writing, like, a, um, like, a reference for, like, what all the different colors mean. And then I kind of just, like, mm -hmm. abandoned it. And now I go with, like, whatever color I feel like in the moment has, like, the the message that I'm trying to get across. So, like, sometimes green is, like, calm, but sometimes it's sick. <laughs> I mean, but I also feel like that's, you know, the colors have different meanings. So, like, the same color has different meanings, so I'm kind of okay with <laughs> with the inconsistencies there. Oh, no, I don't mind the color. I, I like the color changing. Yeah, but no, my point is just, like... Um, trying to, like, figure out how to use that as a way to, like, express Wave Skimmer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm working on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, very giant mood light. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do like, um, now that I'm thinking about it, the color thing does show up, and it is helpful for, like, emotional and, like, physical state to know how Wave Skimmer is. I would have liked, you know, in the previous chapter, if we saw a little vision from Wave Skimmer. 
because I, I assume he fell asleep, but it, it was, I don't know if it was specified that he also fell asleep. Oh, I think he did. Yeah, I don't remember if I specify that either. Because I was thinking, even if he didn't, he wouldn't have left. Yeah. Oh, I really don't know. I mean, that that's a whole different conversation, though, about like adding in a scene with a vision of his in there. Mm-hmm. Not that that chapter isn't packed full enough. I know, and I already have the vision from Bob, though, and I really like Bob's vision. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know if that's something I would, I would do. Oh, I need to think about that. Maybe that's a separate short story, like a companion thing. <laughs> <laughs> I could just be, you know, somebody notices Wave Skimmers asleep on the deck and changing colors as he snores. Oh, uh, that would, that be, would so be so cute. cute. Too. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, even thinking back when I wasn't sure if he would leave the boat or not when everyone was asleep i was like i mean obviously he would never leave because pana is there and like you know as you said like he's he feels responsible for pana's welfare and by extension the welfare of everyone else in the boat yeah i mean and everyone in, in this story too there's the responsibility to like the boat and you see everyone like kind of helping out at least everyone who can and I think it was important to like have Bari in there too. So definitely like in you know, in story five and in this story, having her like help out and try to do her best and like show her concern for everyone else. So I'm really just trying to like drive home her sense of responsibility to her community and like people in general, even if that leads her to do some like not great things. Yeah, I think that's an interesting thought. I mean, because now when you say that, I do think of, like, definitely the idea of, you know, individual rights or privileges versus the well-being of the community and how those things can come into conflict and how interpretations of what constitutes com community, like, good or, you know, individual right, like, what are you actually, you know allowed to do or you know what is going too far and i think it can be taken it's definitely taken advantage of in both ways where like vari would be the sign of like going a little bit too hard on like community well-being versus individual i mean not that pana didn't indirectly harm people but going a little bit too hard on the punishment side of it and then definitely in many cases of individuals being like, screw the community, screw other people. Yeah, and I was just going to say, like, well, I mean, Vari's not, like, a perfect example of, like, community responsibility, because we see, I mean, we will see an example of her, like, really endangering the community very shortly, potentially. I don't know. Spoilers. Sorry. Um... <laughs> but just this idea of like it being a constant struggle like oh who are you responsible to and what responsibility like what loyalty do you act on in any given moment so she definitely has like a lot of things to think through and she certainly has different actions depending on the situation mm -hmm. but I really enjoy having the two of them in the same scene together I think it's super fun even when Pana has like no idea 
Yeah, I think it's interesting too because the other characters on the boat truly don't know that they have any connection to each other. So they're both just kind of able to operate completely independently and there isn't any kind of, you know, undercurrent from the other characters of like, oh, are these two going to see each other? What's going to happen? Because they just don't know that there's anything going on. Yeah. And I love that, like, I don't know how realistic it is, but I, I love that, like, they're both friends with the same people. So, like, <laughs> Pana will talk with, like, Bob and Tally and MC and the captain, and then Pana leaves, and then Vari will talk with all of those people. So, I mean, I guess, like you said, like, the, you know, these people have no idea that Vari and Pana know each other, so they probably don't feel compelled to, like, tell each other about them. Mm -hmm. But I just love that we can go from, like, we can kind of, like, just change up the characters and we have these scenes of, like, these groups working together and in one moment it's Pana and, like, in the other moment it's Vare with all the same people. I'm having fun with it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I kind of interpret it as the um, friends that Pana happened to make are the ones that do feel... A very strong investment in the community beyond just, you know, the bare minimum of, like, I'm gonna not let my dog poop on the sidewalk. But they're people who actively invest more into the communal well-being, which is why two strangers to the community were automatically befriended by them. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Yeah, like, Bob, Tally, and MC, they have this responsibility to the community, and, like, to these new people who have entered the community and, like, making sure that they're okay. Yeah, like, even when, um, Pana first meets the trio, they're like, oh, you have a broken arm? I guess we should fix that. Which, I mean, is a reasonable reaction, but also very, um, it was very clear their mindset of, like, helping people first before even thinking, you know, do you have money to pay for us to fix your arm? Or even just... Do you have somewhere else to go? Do you know where a doctor is? Because mm. we are not responsible for doing the healing, but we could maybe play an intermediary role. Yeah, or like even like there's there's no question of like who are you? It's just like mm -hmm. you know they say hi and then they're like oh wait your arm, <laughs> and they go and help. And even with Vare too, I think when they when they meet Vare, like they're helping people. Yeah, I think they're like a good example of like I mean. They do live right next to the port, so it is still an extension of their community, but they don't actually live in the port. Yeah, they're in, so... like, the suburbs. <laughs> Not really. It's it's a farm, but, <laughs> yeah. The wilderness rural suburbs. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it is a part of their community, but still the extent to which they step in, when they could just go back to their farm and be... Well, they probably wouldn't be safe from the tidal wave, but they would, without the tidal wave, they would be safer at their farm in a storm than at the port. Yeah, probably. So they are putting their own, like, well-being at risk. Yeah. I mean, moving on from that, one thing, so, like, the biggest part of this story is Pana trying to come to terms with the information that they find out about these, like, weapons of mass destruction that have previously caused the apocalypse, and, like, finding out that there's still 
a lot more of them out there that haven't gone off yet. And they're trying to figure out, like, do we go and destroy these weapons or do we just leave it up to someone else? I mean, I'm just curious, like, what you made of that struggle and, like, is it is it believable? Is there anything that I can, like, improve upon with that? I mean, I I think the struggle always, for me, almost always has to be in a narrative uh, like that follows sort of, like, you know, if it's a story that involves somebody, like, saving the world, there has to be the main character having at least one moment of doubt about whether they want to do it or not. Otherwise, I'm probably not going to really like the character. But I've also seen stories where the character has so many doubts. This is not Pana, but where the character has so many doubts and keeps waffling back and forth between whether or not they should do a thing. It drives me nuts, <laughs> but... I think it's very necessary for a person, for a character, to be shown having those kinds of thoughts because either there's some kind of conflict going on that we can't see for a character who just immediately signs on um, to some suicide mission, or the character just feels a little bit like Superman-y, which doesn't feel like, or at least the kind of character that I depending on the kind of story, the character I would enjoy reading does, is not the Superman kind of character that is just, like, so above us mere mortals, but is really a person with their own thoughts and feelings mess twirling around inside them. I think you did carry over a really good idea of this kind of conflict, whereupon it's like, well, I did all these other things, and I ran away from them, like Aang kind of runs away in the storm from the air temple because he's like, I can't, I can't do this responsibility. I can't be the avatar. And vaguely similarly, Pana runs away from the village, not because they're the avatar. The village is just kind of turned against them, basically. And it's not possible for them to live there anymore, which is different than... I guess it's not really a responsibility per se that was being thrust on them, but more like physical harm, the threat of physical harm. Yeah, I mean, it's a very different situation. But it is still definitely an interesting conflict because I do feel skeptical when a character is like, I'm up for it, let's go immediately. So, I mean, interesting and also just necessary to me to have that conflict in the story. But... There are times when people overplay their hand. I don't think it's done in this case because Pana literally just found out these weapons existed, having literally no idea that they existed. And all of a sudden, well, I mean, they had, you know, inklings that the fate of the world was on their shoulders from earlier in the stories, receiving the giant, not the giant stone, but receiving the stone <laughs> um, and being told this could save the world and having no idea what that really meant. But now, having a fuller picture of it, it's like, oh, what am I actually signing on to by carrying this rock around with me? Yeah, like the responsibility is growing, for sure. They're learning about it as they go along. So, they definitely had no idea like what they were getting involved with. But they're, they're learning. <laughs> mm -hmm. Which I think, yeah, that's like... 
a realistic portrayal of like the more you know the more you know to question Mm -hmm. or the more you know to feel coming up against your own limits which Pana definitely is like I'm just one person is like can I even do this and definitely they um I think in a a flashback for the previous chapter where they were concerned about, am I even enough back when they were a little kid? Like, will I make my father proud? So definitely feelings of, you know, wanting to contribute, but not being sure if their contribution is enough, which, you know, hits at a lot of people's um, feelings, I think. Oh my gosh, that's just so, (laughs) like, such a present conversation in, like, environmental circles, too. (laughs) Just like, oh, can we as an individual do anything to stop climate change? Mm. And, like, no, but, like, if enough individuals... And just, like, ultimately, what do people decide to do? Is it, like, they just go about their lives and then, you know, write to politicians to, like, change laws and, like, corporations to do things? So there's definitely just in our own world a sense of like, is this something that I can accomplish or does someone else, like some bigger entity, like need to do it? Like what what can I even accomplish if I do anything at all? So and not just in that situation, like in, you know, in so many other ways as well. But yeah, I think like, I don't remember if this was like a story that I had originally planned out. I had, like, a whole, like, list of different stories that I wanted to see. And, yeah, I think, like, it just became kind of apparent, like, I needed some sort of break in between the vision story and the last story. So, ultimately, this is this is how this story came to be. And, yeah, I guess that's where the idea of, like, well, what kind of break would happen, like, in between, like, two kind of larger ideas and just, you know, the the need for, like, Pana to at least think about what they learned and, like, what they're going to do. So, and, like, throwing a dragon into it because why not? <laughs> why not? I mean, it's very thrilling. And a, lo- a little scary, I'm sure, for the people on that boat. But they're trapped. Oh my word, those poor people on the boat who are like, we're just going to go on a trip across the bay. And then not realizing, like, all these things are going to happen. Yeah. Which, I mean, does feel a lot like just being a person in the world. You're going along your day and then you realize climate change is here. The water you're drinking has microplastics in it. Don't get bottled water anymore. So it is a lot of like coming coming along and then somebody one day is like, hey, this bad thing is happening. Maybe you should do something about it. And you're completely, maybe some people may feel more prepared than others, but completely unprepared to react on an individual level or, you know, I guess the first default would be, for me at least, would be like, what can I do mm-hmm. when... I do think what can we do is a more productive question, but also 
a lot harder to answer because who is the we that we're talking about and how can like that we exist like how do we find people to make a we I mean environmental groups or you know different ways to create community and build community definitely exist but it is really hard especially with people you know just making their own decisions and living their own lives like the people on the boat all coming onto the boat being like we have our own aims in life and reasons for going on this boat and taking this journey so how do we mesh these all together when we're thrown into one dragon sized problem together yeah for sure definitely making that we is like very difficult <laughs> mm -hmm. which I guess kind of goes to the question of how to translate individual responsibility to a shared sense of community responsibility is the best phrase I'm thinking of. Mm -hmm. But in a way that doesn't just lead to somebody being like, who's who's going to be the president? Who's going to be the leader to tell us what to do? Yeah, that's no, that's an interesting idea. It's like actually having like a community type of thing and not just like delegating it to like oh one person like you go and figure it out and like tell us what to do mm -hmm. um or or the idea of like diffusion of responsibility if 10 people are told to get this done none of them are going to get it done as fast as like two people because they feel accountable to it because they know there's only one other person working on this task yeah or even i mean that's just making me think of like lifeguard training we were always told, so like when you're telling people to call 911, get the AED, like you point to someone. You're like, you do it. Because like if you're just like, oh, someone do it, then everyone's going to be like, oh, well, like who's doing it? Like who's going to go and do this thing? I mean, that is making me think like it is important to have like some sort of leader sometimes. So like in that situation, the lifeguard being the leader, in this case, you have like, sort of a group of leaders you know you have like being the ship captain who's like oh this is my like i know how the ship works this is what we need to do and pana being the person who really knows dragons so like they're making decisions for the rest of the crew but at least like you still have everyone else like you know vare and and bob italian mc who kind of stand in for the community since I'm not having like every single passenger on the boat as a character like come and do things <laughs> yeah I don't know how well like I write them coming together as a community but there's definitely this sense of like they can't overcome like a dragon by themselves you need you know you need multiple people to help like lift that net once they capture the dragon and to, like, do everything to, like, put that in place in the, you know, in the beginning anyway. Yeah. I think those kinds of things are tricky. Like, how do you find the people who are willing to sign on? Like, how do you find enough people who are willing to make the individual choice to, like, put aside their personal wants or needs to a certain degree a little bit more to serve the community which definitely, I think the people you pick, like MC, Tally, Bob, Vare, are people who 
have those kinds of personalities that they're willing to sign on and often a little bit more than perhaps the average person would. Not that they're like doing it to an extreme degree of, you know, self-sacrifice, but just there is, I guess, a trade-off or compromise. And some people are more in a position to do it than others. Yeah, I mean, I think that was what I was going to ask next. Like, the the idea of... Because I think there's some cases where you don't... Like, people shouldn't be expected to come forward and put themselves at risk to do, like, certain things. I mean, there's definitely things, like, as a community, we need to face. So, like, climate change being one of those, and, like, so many other issues that, like, impact people. I can't think of, like, a good larger scale issue that I think people, like, shouldn't get involved in <laughs> and, like, are within their rights to kind of take a step back from. I'm sure those exist, but I think I generally lean towards, like, oh, we, we need to collectively all, like, do more. But I think certainly on an individual level, like, how involved you get in, like, a certain... Um, maybe there's, like, a club at your school and you're, like, you know, I, I feel strongly about this club, but, like, I don't know if I'm the best fit to, like, take on this position of responsibility. Or if you're, like, planning a surprise party for someone and, like, you know, tasks are being delegated out to people and you're like, oh, like, I don't know. Um, like, I live in Arizona and, like, the party is in, like, I don't know, Athens. And... <laughs> You're like, oh, I, I don't think I am the best person. Like, I don't know if I can do this and, like, get the flowers there on time or whatever. Um, that's an awful example, but just this idea, like, in, in our own lives of, like, things where, like, sometimes it's okay to take a step back and be like, oh, you know, I care about what's happening. I care about, like, the person and the people this impacts, but... I don't think I am the best person for this, or I don't think I can take on this responsibility. So, I mean, I try to, like, put that in here a little bit, I think. I mean, that's ultimately where, like, Pana's questions and, and thought process is going to. But I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm ultimately, like, super happy that they go and decide to, like, help out with the weapons. Because I think... I would have been very upset with them. And again, like, I know that I can, like, <laughs> make whatever happen that I want. But, like, taking the author out of it for a moment, like, I would have been super upset if Pana had decided, like, hey, I don't want to get involved. Even though it would have been, it probably would have been fair to a certain degree, because this is such an extreme situation. Like, I don't think the situations we face in dealing with the issues that like affect our communities are usually as big as anything that Pan is facing. But I do think like I wanted to show the importance of taking on that responsibility and putting the community like before yourself. So and I'm kind of thinking like the phrase that keeps just coming to mind is like the greater good and that's a that's a whole important like Harry Potter thing. And I think there's this idea in the fan community of, like, Dumbledore as this villain who, like, uses Harry and, you know, that that is fair. But at the same time, like, Harry's the only one who has even, like, the potential 
of beating Voldemort, and he, like, needs to do this thing. And I would like to say that Harry has, like, a choice to not do that if he doesn't want to. But, like, how awful would that be if you're, like, oh, I'm the only one who can, like, save the entire wizarding world and, like, the muggles and whatever. And, like, I'm just gonna go, like, camping for the rest of my life. I think that would have been a very, very sad story. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think because Pana is the bearer of the one true stone, the no, there, there, it's been confirmed there's more than one stone, but Pana happens to have one of them. But Pana is kind of in that similar situation of being like the person who is in the best position to take on this responsibility, but still doesn't quite feel like they are up to it. Like, are they capable of? doing the things, destroying the weapons. And I think the the fact that there is this moment of choice where they do decide to do it and aren't simply forced into it is really important because it's true circumstances do force someone into doing things, but there really is always the choice to do nothing or to hide or run away. And those are like fair actions when I mean depending on the circumstances like let's avoid this war I don't feel like fighting I'm gonna dodge the draft because my life isn't worth you know patriotism or whatever or I don't believe in the war effort so I'm not gonna risk my own life for that but I think Harry's situation obviously fantasy world logic is a little <laughs> bit different um, yeah I do think it's it's interesting from a moral point con- to consider. Certainly not any kind of expert on those things, morals and ethics. But the idea of like having a choice versus was the choice ever there to begin with, where I think Pana's story has definitely been constructed to where they do have a choice from the very beginning, and they continue to opt into it consciously and like with whatever information is available to them, they make the best choice they can. And I don't think Harry necessarily is in that position to have all the information that he can have at that moment before he makes his choice. Because Dumbledore kind of keeps the information from him. But that's another story, and certainly some of that information shouldn't be told to a child. Yeah, I think the the idea of like a choice is super important, and like Pana could choose to like just leave and give the stone to someone else. Yeah, but I just still think it would have been, like... I mean, and this is this is the hard part about reading and writing it, too. Like, there's so many times where we make choices that they don't benefit or that, like, hurt other people, too. So, like... I mean, I'm saying that Pana would have, like, upset me if they didn't go and do this thing, knowing full well that, like, not every choice that I make is really great either so like you know Pana is this uh (laughs) like fictitious way of like seeing what would happen like if certain choices were made okay but moving on from there we're gonna each just pick out a favorite line of ours Izzy do you want to go first sure I just picked the um opening three lines from, or 
I guess, four sentences but two lines of the story because I thought they were very nice. This is right after the Visions chapter where they all fell asleep. So now everybody is waking up. And this is Vare waking up. She woke up with a gasp. Sweat coated her body, causing her to shiver. Her fingers tingled. Her hair swung down in front of her eyes, tickling her nose. I'm just a fan of, you know, imagery. I feel very in the moment with the way this is described. Yeah, I am not usually good at imagery, so I'm glad you enjoyed those lines. <laughs> the line that I chose is just... This is my favorite character, like the ship captain, who I just make as awkward as I can. And she and Ponner looking at these animals and like just goes, we call those blobs, she said. They look very gooey, like a blob. <laughs> and I like the idea of there just being this like giant gooey blob as an animal that's just like roaming around on the sea. I mean, that's what jellyfish are. They're just gooey blobs. So, so mysterious. Yeah. And apparently, like, they, they can't sting your palm. So if you see a jellyfish. What? Yeah, when I was in Virginia working, one of the people I was working with, he would just catch jellyfish in his hands. And he's like, yeah, they don't sting your palms. Because they need, like, to go through, I guess the venom or whatever goes through, like, pores and, like, where your, where your hair, like, comes out. So, like, the follicles, like those openings and your palms there are no like little openings so if you just like hold a jellyfish in your palms you won't get stunned i don't recommend trying this if you don't want to <laughs> and definitely not with like certain lethal types of jellyfish if you're in like long island the jellyfish are fine even if they do sting you it'll just hurt but like you'll be okay so I just I want to try this, but <laughs> I never I don't did. Live near the ocean. Yeah, I I like the concept of it. I never tried it. I don't think I would. But with that, we're gonna wrap it up. Are there any like final thoughts you have? I guess I'm thinking, from a writing standpoint, it's a very fine line between having a character who's waffly, and a character who has genuine doubts. Maybe this is a little bit of a controversial opinion, but the main character from Dune, Paul, is a waffle character. Which, I guess, is kind of the point of the writing. They're trying to break the hero's, you know, journey, story down in a certain way, but he's a waffle character to me. He has too many doubts, and it's just not compelling or to me it, it just it's very frustrating to read because not that a person can't have doubts after they make a decision and choose a certain course of action it's realistic to have regrets and second thoughts but to constantly be questioning your purpose and it's a little too much i think you ha hit the right balance here because i would say narratively speaking Having a, a few moments of second-guessing or of, like, what-the-heck reality check here is definitely necessary. Um, for a reader, for me, I would be very happy. I'm, very, I'm unhappy if there's 
too many or too few reality checks happening. Yeah, I think just my my kind of final thought is just that writing this was definitely like very difficult for me and like I mean we've talked about it before just the idea of like individuals and what a person like wants and what impacts a person as being like much more difficult for me to think about than like larger scale like geography type things so this was definitely kind of a struggle but yeah I think like just going through and like checking with a friend and being like oh does this seem like realistic or reasonable to you or like interesting is a good way to figure out if you're writing if if what you're writing is is working for other people too that's usually my go-to with a lot of things just like check in with someone else and get like a different perspective but i think that's like the main thing i'm thinking of right now yeah, I'm also thinking it can depend for the character, on how you construct your character's psychology. Like, is this a character who already feels, for whatever reason, an excessive extent of community responsibility? Maybe they were raised to, you know, not feel like they ever did quite enough, and so therefore they sign on to over-excel and overextend themselves in all the areas because they feel like they are never quite meeting the sta some mysterious standard that doesn't exist. So in that case, I would say that would be a character who doesn't have reality checks a lot, where they're like, should I really be getting involved here? But um, I would say for most types of characters, there would be a moment where they're thinking, what's going on? Why am I signing up for too many extracurriculars now? Yeah, it's all, it's definitely about that character. Emperor Palpatine does not have these doubts. Yeah. <laughs> but that's about it. Thank you all for tuning in. We really appreciate you listening. We hope you have an excellent day. And feel free to check out our Patreon. You can find the link in the description below. It would mean a lot to us if you checked it out. We're still working on developing it. But yeah. See you all next time. Yeah, thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. Bye. at my palm and I'm like, huh, interesting.